We're uh, finishing our series through the book of Haggai today, so we're going to be in Haggai chapter 2, verses 20 through 23. I don't know about you, but I have just enjoyed, enjoyed, enjoyed the series. I have not studied Haggai uh, very much before this, um, but these last seven weeks have really uh, made this, this book one of my favorite minor prophets in the Old Testament, so I pray you've been blessed um, in the same way that I have been. I'm a little sad to see it go, but I'm excited for what God has for us next. I wanted to start off and kind of launch us into this last message by telling you a story that I, I shared on the Facebook. I shared on the Summit Facebook page recently, but I'm not sure I shared the whole thing. I didn't go back and, and watch it to see what I shared, what I didn't share, and, and, and um, I know some of you probably didn't see that, and so I thought I could tell it again this morning. But Recently, I was with one of my favorite pastors that I get to be around and rub elbows with from time to time, maybe a couple times a year. Uh, he, he pastors a church in Lincoln, New Hampshire. Uh, he is the Loon Mountain chaplain. I'm not sure if you ski or anything like that, um, but he does outdoor ministry, and they really suffer for Jesus over there. I mean, they have to take a gondola up to church on Sunday mornings to the top of a mountain where there's this amphitheater, and the backdrop is all of the white mountains in God's creation on top of Loon Mountain is where they do church at 11 a.m. on Sunday mornings. Really hard. Just really struggling for Jesus over there uh, at Loon Mountain. And uh, we got opportunity last year to go um, while we were on sabbatical and experience that with them. If you're ever in the area, um, I encourage you to go check that out. It is an awesome, awesome experience to get to do church on top of a mountain. And... Uh, I was, I was able to hang out with him recently, and um, we were just catching up because last year at the same time I took sabbatical, he took sabbatical, and he and his wife and their three kids decided to take their sabbatical and relax by hiking the Appalachian Trail from start to finish. Started in Georgia, finished in Maine, hiked the whole thing, mom, dad, three kids, and uh, their kids are probably 9, 11, 13, something like that. Um, they, they're, they're in that age range, but they, the three kids hiked the whole thing, start to finish. It was awesome. So we were hanging out, spending a couple hours just talking church, talking family, talking leadership, and uh, loving on each other. And as we, were, as, we were, as we were ending our time together, I asked him, I said, do you miss anything about the Appalachian Trail? Do you miss hiking this summer? Do you miss the AT? And he said, you know what I miss the most? And, and uh, he, he, said, he, go, he went on to say, I miss every day, at the end of the day, taking the pack off. Every day, at the end of the day, I could take the pack off. And, don't miss this, because this is where we're going this morning, reward myself. At the end of the day, I could take my pack off and reward myself. And he said that, Mike, to me. And he said, hey, it was great hanging out with you. Good night. Um, I, hope, I hope to see you again in about six months. And that was it. Like he drove off and I'm left there, Dwayne, just thinking about this truth bomb that he had just dropped that'll preach, right? Because, because how many of us, right, we struggle taking the pack off. 
Like, I mean, let's just start there. I mean, that would preach right there. That could be a message all in itself, right? How to rest in a busy culture, in a place where, we're, you know, you're trying to climb the ladder, you're trying to do this, you're trying to do that, right? We wear busy schedules like a badge of honor. Who can have the most commitments? Who can have the most Zoom meetings in a day? You know, who can do this? Who can do that, right? We wear those things like a badge of honor while inside we're being destroyed, burnt out, tired, worn, you know, all of these different things, torn down, right? That's one thing, but notice what he said at the end. He said, take my pack off and reward myself. He would reward himself at the end of every day, right? At the end of every day. Now, I could think if I'm hiking with my four kids, I'd have to reward them at the end of every day, right? I mean, I mean, you just, you know, you hiked eight miles, maybe you only hiked two miles. It didn't matter, right? But at the end of the day, I can picture, you know, having to reward them. But he said, you know, the rewards look different, right? Maybe the reward was just sitting down for the first time in the day. Maybe the reward was taking my shoes off. Maybe the reward was going to bed. Maybe the reward was sitting by a a fire if we got to build a fire that night or maybe going for a dip in the river if we were next to a river, you know, for the night or something like that. He said, but whatever it was, I rewarded myself. I rewarded myself. And it really hit me. Because, you know, I, I, think, I think when we think of rewarding ourselves, right, what does that look like? Now, I'm not talking about the mentality, I think we talked about it a few weeks ago, that, that you know, I deserve this, right? But what does it look like to reward ourselves? And he shared really quickly before he said goodnight and went on his way and left me to just uh, stew on this for a couple hours as I was trying to go to sleep. He said, you know, for, for me, the pack right now is my cell phone. So he said, you know, I've got Mondays off and, and, and I, I don't touch my phone on my day off. That's my pack. I put the pack down. I don't touch. I don't touch. He's like, I'm trying to learn. I'm trying to build that discipline in, right? And, and it's like, wow, man, that's, that's strong, you know? Um, but what I didn't get to ask him, because he sped off so fast, which I'm not sure how I'm supposed to feel about that. How do you reward yourself? But we see that here in Haggai. We're going to see that here, that the faithfulness of the people, specifically today the governor, Zerubbabel, is rewarded. He's rewarded for his faithfulness. He's rewarded for his obedience. He's rewarded for the fact that he didn't quit. He didn't stop. He didn't stop. Even when things got difficult, like we talked about last week, Right? Sin had overtaken, right? The questions of defilement, the questions of holiness, calling them to repentance. They didn't quit. They didn't quit. And so today, I just kind of want you to think about like, when's the last time you rewarded yourself? You sat down. For, for me, let, me, let me tell you how that looks for me today. It might have looked different yesterday because it was hot, and I sat out at a doubleheader in Westbrook softball game for under 10-year-olds. I was thinking for me yesterday, a reward would have been Beals. It wasn't even National Ice Cream Day like it was last Sunday, but I'm just thinking, I deserve Beals. I just sat outside for like four hours. But for, for me today, it's different. For me today, I think of that as 
sitting in the presence of God and reminding myself that I'm his beloved. Because, you know, for a lot of us, I, I sit and I think and, and, and talking to folks, you know, many people don't feel like they should be rewarded. Many people think, who am I? That I should get anything, that I should gain anything, that I should, you know, all, all of these different things. Listen, listen to me. If you're a child of God, you are His beloved. And I pray this morning that you see that from this passage, how God sees you and how God values you. That's my prayer this morning as we dive into this. So a little bit of background just to build up the message, verses 20 through 20. Three, Haggai has encouraged the people, right, throughout this book. We've looked at it the last seven weeks. He's encouraged the people to stay on the job and finish God's house. Not to be so concerned with their paneled houses, but to finish the house of God. And he has a special word of encouragement in closing for Zerubbabel, the governor. Okay, the governor. And it was delivered, now I want you to get this, I want you to get this, because I think the timing's important. It was delivered on the same day as the third message. You see there in verse 20, the word of the Lord came a second time to Haggai on the 24th day of the month. So this message is delivered on the same day as the message of repentance was delivered that we talked about last week. Okay, now a little bit about Zerubbabel before we keep going. He was the humble governor of a struggling remnant in the Jewish nation. Okay, the struggling remnant of the Jewish nation. Zerubbabel was the humble governor trying to complete the building of a rather inglorious temple. Okay, so he set it up, right? The scene isn't, isn't, isn't picture perfect, right? I mean, the, the temple that they're rebuilding looks nothing like it did in the days of Solomon. Yet they're rebuilding it and they're staying faithful in the rebuilding of the temple. Right? But it looks nothing like it did in the days of Solomon. And so you've got this governor trying to, trying to lead the Jews, trying to lead the, the, what's left of the Jewish nation, right? And he's in, 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 of, in the rebuilding of a rather glorious temple because it looked nothing like it did in the days of Solomon. What a discouraging situation. Now, let me ask this. Let's poll, let's poll, let's poll the audience, okay? So this, this means yes, like if I feel this way, I'm going to ask you to raise your hands, okay? If not, right, how many of you have ever been discouraged? You know what discouragement feels like, okay? All right, very good. I think everybody raised their hand. That's 100%. We had two people in the first service that weren't awake yet. I'm gonna, that's what we're going to say. Two guys in the first service that weren't quite awake yet, and they didn't raise their hands. You can go to the live stream and see who they were, because I called them out for it. Um, but uh, but, but we, we know what discouragement is. Okay, let's, how many of you, this, this might be getting a little vulnerable this morning, 1030 service, how many of you would say, there's something right now I'm discouraged about? Anybody? Something right now I'm discouraged about. Okay, yeah, I mean, we, discouragement a lot, right? Aroma Joe's got my coffee wrong this morning. That's discouraging, Bruce. That's brutal. That's brutal, right? How can you have a good day and preach three messages when your coffee was wrong? And they even knew me. They even knew my order. They were like, oh yeah, you get the skim milk, right? That's when you know you've been there too much, right? When, when you're in the drive-thru, you got your sunglasses on, you're disguised, right? And they're like, oh yeah, you're the guy. And they still get it wrong. 
I'm so heartbroken this morning, Jenny. Discouragement, right? We all have experienced discouragement. Okay, one more question before we dive in. One more question before we look at Haggai 2, 20 through 23. How many of you would say, I like encouragement? I like encouragement, right? It feels good. Again, 100%. The same two this morning didn't raise their hand for that. Apparently, they don't like encouragement. Apparently, they're just gone, right? We all like encouragement. We were on, uh, we were on the boat Friday, and uh, we were on the sandbar, and, and Micah, Micah could, could use some time with you, Chris. She was trying to learn how to water ski. She's trying to learn how to water ski. We've got some trainer water skis, and Micah, Micah's a little daredevil. She's a lot like me. And uh, she's like, yeah, I want to try this, I want to try this. And so we, we hooked him up, and, and she, she, you know, she's going, and she tried it like three or four times and just couldn't get it. Couldn't get it. Couldn't get it. Couldn't get up, and, and she, was, she was having a hard time, and she was ready to quit. She was ready to quit. But then the last time she tried, she almost got up. Right? She was up for like maybe two seconds and then just sunk right back down, did a face plant in the water. Everybody on the sandbar, there were like six or seven boats on the sandbar. Okay, pastor numbers, there were like 50 boats on the sandbar. There was like a thousand people on this, that's the pastor numbers, okay? That's not the reality, right? But there were so many people on the sandbar and all of a sudden in unison, right? When she hit the water that last time, they were like, oh, but they were cheering for her because she got up for like two or three seconds and you could see in Micah's mind, things turned, things flipped, and she's like, oh, I'm doing this, <laughs> right? Why? Because she had people behind her, right? She had people behind her. She was feeling encouraged. She couldn't let us all down. And so she tried like four or five more times, and every time she'd get up and go down, people were, oh, it's so close. You got this, you know, all that, and she didn't get up. But anyway, um, <laughs> It's great because she went further. She went longer in a discouraging situation than she would have on her own strength. That'll preach, amen? Amen. Encouragement is a powerful thing. And I believe God wants to encourage our hearts this morning. I believe God wants to encourage our hearts week after week after week as we gather in His house. I think that's one of the biggest major importances of gathering in the house of God. It's encouraging when you're around brothers and sisters in Christ and you're getting fed. Amen? Amen? There's just something about it. There's something about it. I was talking to, to somebody this week that, anyway, let's just keep going. I believe God wants to encourage our hearts this morning from His Word. Because He was encouraging the heart of Zerubbabel, who was leading this people to build this inglorious temple that looked nothing like it did in, in its previous years. But it was going to be the house. It was going to be the temple where Jesus would come. Verse 20. I got chapter 2. You can follow along on the screen if you don't have your Bibles with you. The word of the Lord came a second time to Haggai on the 24th day of the month. So again, same time this message, same time the second message came that we talked about last week. Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I am about to shake the heavens and the earth. And to overthrow the throne of the kingdom. Throw, overthrow thrones, the throne of kingdoms. I can't get that. Overthrow the throne of kingdoms. There it is. I'm about to destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the nations. And overthrow the chariots and their riders. And the horses and their riders shall go down every one by the sword of his brother. Verse 23. Here it is. 
On that day, declares the Lord of hosts, I will take you, O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shealtiel, declares the Lord, and make you like a signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord of hosts. Now there's two big things in here that would have encouraged Haggai in hearing this message. And the first is this, my servant, my servant. God says to Zerubbabel, my servant, okay, underline that, star that in your Bible if you've got it open in front of you, oh Zerubbabel, my servant. See, God called him his servant, my servant. That's an exclusive title in the Old Testament reserved, ready for this church, for chosen people, for chosen people. And so as Zerubbabel hears this message from God through the prophet Haggai, God saying to Zerubbabel, my servant, he would have stood out. He would have stood out. It's the equivalent, it's the equivalent for us, listen, in John 14, where God, uh, through Jesus, right, calls his church, calls his children his beloved. We've already talked about that this morning, okay? Chosen people, royal priesthood, a holy nation, okay? That's the equivalent. So we can apply that today, and it's like God saying that to us, but it would have no doubt encouraged the heart of Zerubbabel, who was probably worn and tired from leading these Jews who had sin issues, who had heart issues that we talked about last week, and yet were building the house of God. My servant. God compares him to a royal signet ring. Now, we're going to talk about the signet ring more in just a little bit, but I want to give you a taste right now so you can know why this would have encouraged him, because that's the second thing. My servant, right, and he goes on to say, um, make you like a signet ring. Now, a signet ring communicated in that day the authority of a leader. Communicated that day, in that time, a signet ring was something you wore on your right hand, right? And it, and it was engraved with your initials, and it meant that you had authority. And what God was communicating through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel was that you have authority to lead. You have authority to lead. I've given you authority to lead. That was huge. That's huge. That's huge. My servant, my chosen leader to lead. That's huge. No doubt, this message would have encouraged the rubber bell to stay on the job, to finish the work, to complete the miles of the day, to take the pack off, and to kind of sit in the presence of God as a reward. To finish the work that God gave him to do. See, he was special to God. He was chosen by God. He was the servant of God, near and dear to him as his signet ring. So we can be encouraged by three things from this passage. And the first is this. Be encouraged even when you feel small. Be encouraged even when you feel small. Look at verses 20 and 21. The word of the Lord again came a second time to Haggai on the 24th day of the month. Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I am about to shake the heavens and the earth. See, no doubt Zerubbabel struggled with the truth of who he was. 
He was the governor of a small version of God's people. He probably wanted more, right? He probably wanted more people to lead. He probably wanted more of a glorious job. The Jews were not a huge and mighty nation like they had been in the past. Jerusalem was not a massive city of beauty as it once had been. And so in Zerubbabel's mind, he's the governor of a lesser nation. Be encouraged even when you feel small. He's a governor of a lesser nation. But God knows, come on somebody, the bigger picture. God knew the bigger picture. God was encouraging Zerubbabel by letting him know that he was going to shake things up. God knew something about Zerubbabel that Zerubbabel didn't know. God knew something about Zerubbabel that Zerubbabel didn't know. That's a, that's a tongue twister. Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel. Right? God knew something about this guy that he didn't himself know. And to find that out for ourselves, we've got to go to Matthew chapter 1. What's Matthew chapter 1? I'm glad you asked. It's the, it's the um, genealogy of Jesus. Matthew chapter 1 verse 1. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Right? And then you skip down to verse 12 and 13. Guess what we see? After the exile to Babylon, Jeconia was the father of Shealtiel. Shealtiel, the father of Zerubbabel. Sound familiar? Zerubbabel, the father of Abihud. Abihud, the father of Yal- oh, I messed this up in the first service, too. The E person. Eliakim, I think it is. Eli- Eliakim. I don't know. E-person, okay? Point, don't miss the point. Zerubbabel, governor, who God's encouraging right now, in the line, in the genealogy of Jesus. That's a big deal, right? I mean, some would say, oh, whoop-de-doo, right? But that's a big deal, right? He was in the line of David. More importantly, he was in the line of Jesus, and Jesus came to this earth to give us eternal hope. See, we may feel small this morning, church, but if we're a child of God, there's no limit to what God can do in and through us. See, God knew the plans for Zerubbabel that Zerubbabel had no idea about. God had a legacy in mind as part of the line of Jesus that Zerubbabel had no clue of. What's God doing in your life even when you feel small that you don't see that you have no clue about? Second thing, be encouraged. And I know this, I know this is going to sound like oh, a canned message, but listen, listen, listen. I think this is so important. Be encouraged because God has big plans for you. Look at your neighbor and say, God's got big plans for me. That was terrible. Okay, look at your neighbor and say, God's got big plans for me. I don't know what he's got planned for you, but he's got big plans for me. Look at verse 21 again. Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I am about to shake the heavens and the earth and to overthrow the throne of kingdoms. Right? The image here is of two things that seem immovable, unshakable, right? Heavens and the earth. Heaven and earth will be shaken like a rag doll, right? God can, listen to me, church, God can shake our plans around in a moment in order to fulfill his plans. 
That's why I think it's so important to heed 2 Chronicles 7.14, like we talked about last week, right? If my people will humble themselves, pray and seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. Listen to me, church, right? How many of us know that God can shake our plans around in a moment in order to fulfill his plans? We're walking around discouraged, beat up, confused. We don't know what's truth, what's lie, what's this, what's that. How many of us are rubbing our knees raw because we're praying to the God of heaven, God, change this or change me. <laughs> fix this or fix me. Or do both. Some wives are like, amen. And fix him and fix this. No, I'm just kidding, Bruce. Felt bad. I looked right at Bruce when I was saying that. <laughs> Listen, I get it. No one likes to be shaken up. But sometimes that's the only way we grow. Sometimes that's the only time we'll listen. Be encouraged because God has big plans for you even when you feel small. And look for the ways that God's trying to shake things up in your life. Number three, be encouraged because God's included you in His plan. My servant. Like a royal signet ring. God's included you in his plan. See, the signet ring was, was engraved with the owner's name or designed to identify his authority. It was used to prove the authority of royal messages who carry papers stamped by the image on the ring. It was also used to mark precious articles. It proved ownership. The signet ring was always carried by its owner, worn, worn on the right hand. It was inseparable and valuable possession. And this is what God declares the rubble bell to be. An inseparable and valuable possession. Listen to me, church. As a child of God, you have been chosen by God. Jesus has bought you with his blood. The old you is dead and the new you is 100% God's. And God has a plan for your life. See, sometimes, I might have already said this this morning, things are running together, but sometimes I forget Who's in mm. Sometimes I feel like we forget who's in charge of the thing. Sometimes I think we forget He's got the whole world. He's got the whole world. He's got the whole world. He's got the little bit. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Sometimes I think we, we live like, like we've forgotten who's in control. We fear like we've forgotten who's in control. We talk. We act. I was having a conversation with, a, with another pastor this week, Thursday. He called me out of the blue. I haven't talked to him in a, in a little bit. He's in Portland. and He said, Travis, I'm, uh, 
I just wanted to tell you, in case you know of anything, I'm going bivocational. My church, because of COVID, can't afford to pay me, and, and, uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm going bivocational. And he's like, I'm having a really hard time. And I appreciated that he could call me, but it kind of opened my eyes to some things. He said, he said, I'm having a really hard time in this post-Christian culture. And sometimes it takes a phone call like that to pull you back to reality, right? You kind of look around and say, you know what? There's people that have forgotten. There's people that don't want to hear because they've forgotten who's in control of the thing. And even more of a concern is that some of them might have bought into the lie that they're in control of the thing. But as a child of God, we've been chosen by God. He's got a plan for our life. And listen to me. Listen to this and we'll move on. He has given us the Holy Spirit and gifts from the Holy Spirit in order to fulfill His plan. I love what Jesus says, apart from me, you can do some things. Right? That's not what it says. Apart from me, you can do nothing. 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 I think there's five lessons from the book of Haggai. These are going to sound repetitive, but I want to go back because I just want to make sure we get them. If you're taking notes, write these down. But we've learned, I think, five pivotal things for us, and then we're going to close it with a, two verses of application. The first one is this. The work of God is begun, sustained, and encouraged by the Word of God. The work of God is begun, sustained, encouraged by the Word of God. Listen to me, church. That is why we value God's Word deeply. No, back up. That is why we value God's Word deepest. There is no greater value for the church of Christ than God's Word. Travis Bush goes, guess what's still here? God's Word. Okay? Y'all, I'm not necessary. Now, I'd still love to stay. Okay? But, but, I, but I think we've... Hmm, hmm, hmm. Yeah, let's go here, Bruce. I think we valued the... the, the the servant of God more than we have the word of God in some ways, right? We valued the servant more than we valued the word. Maybe we've gotten into some dangerous situations as a result of that. Somebody, somebody with me this morning? You know where I'm going with that? Okay? The, word of, the work of God is begun, sustained, and encouraged by the word of God. Listen to me. When God's servant proclaims God's word and the power of the Holy Spirit, things begin to happen. Things begin to shift. Can somebody say amen this morning? Mm. We've got till 6.30, church. This is good. This is good. Dylan will run out and get us lunch. This is good. Now, he's got family here. Ian will run out and get us lunch. He's got family here too. Jeff will run out and get us lunch. 
Henry, there you go. Number two, God's people. Mm. This is a big one. God's people must, somebody say must, work together to build God's temple. God's people must work together to build God's temple. Now, I think this is a huge one for us because Haggai, right, he called the people that were rebuilding the temple to unity, right? He called the people to unity. He, and listen to me, listen to me. Can I, can, I, can I share my shepherd's heart with you this morning? Is that okay for just a minute? Can I share? This is a big one for us, church, because I believe the enemy is wanting to divide the church today more than I've seen, more than I've seen with my eyes before in, in my life. Now, I'm not as seasoned as some of you, okay? But I've, I've got about 20 years in, in pastoral ministry, okay? 20 years in pastoral ministry, and I believe today the church is being divided by the enemy more than it ever has, and here's how. Masks! Let's just stop there. I can't tell you, for, can I preach for a minute? I can't tell you the number of phone calls I get criticizing us for the, for the lack of precautions we're taking right now. But most of you have masks on. You're spaced apart. And we're doing everything we possibly can. Even if you don't have a mask on. I don't care. Look, that's not the point. The point is, there's people on both sides of this argument. Right? You're telling me that people on one side are completely right. And the people on the other side are completely wrong. Or vice versa. We could apply this politically, but we won't. <laughs> Listen to me, church. In the house of God, we can't act like that. I've got to believe wherever I fall. And I'm, I'll be honest with you right now. I'm preaching. I'm not thinking about where I fall in that spectrum. I'm not quite sure where I fall in that spectrum. But I can't help but think, Mark, that there are good points, valid points, on both sides of that coin. The problem is we're not listening to each other. As your pastor... Thank you for letting me be your pastor this morning. If this is the last morning I get to be your pastor as a result of what I'm talking about, I'm, I will grieve that, I'll mourn that, and I'm sorry about that. But listen to me, I feel like we've got to talk about this because I am not. I'm, I'm a shepherd of Summit Community Church. I'm a shepherd equipped by God and commissioned by God to His church, this church to preach the good news and to shepherd people. And I believe that the enemy can divide us in things like this, in, in, and I'll say it, in ridiculous things like this, if we're not careful and we don't listen to each other. When did we stop believing the best about each other? You point at somebody that's wearing a mask, you're not wearing a mask, you got three pointing back at you, check your heart. Examine yourself. 
He without sin cast the first stone of judgment about the mask. And I'm using the mask, but listen, we could, we could go into more about that. God's people must, again, must work together to build His house. And stand, fight, the spiritual fight against the vision of the enemy. Number three, when the outlook is bleak, try the uplook. Now, I got to own something real quick. Uplook's not a word. Pages on my computer had a big issue with me trying to type uplook. And I had to hit ignore like three times in my notes for the word uplook. But, but you get, you get, try to look up, right? Try the uplook. Try to shift the perspective. Apart from God's promises, we have no hope. We just sang about that, right? You keep hope alive. Our work today is a part of God's work in the future, and we want to do our best, don't we? When the outlook is bleak, try to change the perspective. This was the first message in the book of Haggai. Going back to chapter 1, verse 1, put God first. Right? The title of the message was put God first, first. What does it look like to put God first and take our attention and our focus away from our paneled houses, our own house? And then lastly, we've already talked about it a little bit this morning, so I'll, I'll move right through it. Apart from the power of the Holy Spirit, our labors are in vain. Apart from the power of the Holy Spirit, our labors are in vain. God has given us everything we need through the power of the Holy Spirit to accomplish what He's called us to do. Let me say that one more time. And it never gets old saying it because I believe it with all my heart. God has given us everything we need to accomplish the work that He's called us to do. But we're not fully funded. It's okay. God has given us everything we need to accomplish the work He's called us to do. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 Paul's writing to the church at Corinth, which just, just, just so we know, nothing new under the sun, right? The church at Corinth was messed up. Two letters, Paul's longest letters, go to the church at Corinth, and he's, he's, he writes about everything. Divisions in the church in chapter 3, um, you know, all, 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 kinds, all kinds of just filth in the church at Corinth. I'm going to pick up in verse 26 reading through 31 of 1 Corinthians chapter 1. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. Thank God. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. 
Not look at the other side in arrogance saying, I know it all. I've got all the answers. I've got all the solutions. Just listen to me. Follow me. But if you boast, boast in the Lord. Verse 25 says, right before we started, for the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than me. We serve a strong God. The plan is God's plan. It's His. He chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. I'm going to close with this. Philippians chapter 2. We went here last week because Paul writes to the church at Philippi calling them to unity in verses 3 and 4. And then in verse 12, where we're picking up today, we're going to read verses 12 and 13. Therefore, my beloved. There it is, my beloved. Therefore, my beloved. What's the therefore, therefore? Because he just took verses 5 through 11 to talk about the mind of Christ. Right? He says in verse 4, we looked at it last week, let each of you look not only for his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And then in verse 5, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Therefore, verse 12, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. You see that? Work out my own salvation with fear and trembling. Check your own heart with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. For it's God who works in you for His good pleasure. I'm going to keep going. Do all things, you ready for this? Do all things without grumbling or disputing. That sink in. That you may be blameless and innocent, children of God, without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. I'm so thankful we don't live in the days of Philippi. But get the call here. Among whom you shine as lights in the world. Holding fast to the word of life. So that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. My prayer for you today, my prayer for us today, my prayer for Summit Church today, and my prayer may may even go a little wider than that. Is that we would be encouraged. Not encouraged that we feel comfortable. Not encouraged that we feel good. But be encouraged to trust that God has a plan and that He's not done because we're still here. And the call is still to unity and to work out our own salvation in fear and trembling so that we will shine as lights before men.
So will you take the pack off and sit in the presence of God and say, God, I trust you. God, you've got this. God, I'm not going to live in fear. God, I'm not going to criticize or judge anymore on silly things. I'm not going to let the enemy divide your house. Because I believe your house can be stronger than ever. I'm praying that God shake the heavens and the earth. That we would see your glory in this. Will you pray with me? God, I pray for healing in your house. And God, I pray that you do whatever it takes to draw us back to you. If we've divided ourselves from you, if we've distanced ourselves from you, for fear, for confusion, for chaos, for maybe just because we didn't know what else to do these last months. If you're sitting here this morning and you just feel the presence of God, I just I encourage you to say, God, God, you can have my heart. You can have it all. You can have my emotions. You have my attention. You have my time. God, it's all yours anyway. So God, I pray that you unify your church. That you bring unity in your house. That, God, we turn our attention to You. We turn our focus towards You. And that we would be encouraged this morning, tomorrow morning, 
the day after that, the day after that, because we are your children, whom you love, whom you're passionate about, who you sent Jesus so that we could have access to you, so that we could have relationship with you, who you have a plan for. We are yours. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.